Welcome back to Not Your Token Minority, a podcast exploring and celebrating the stories of the global majority. This week, we have part two of Alex's story. If you haven't listened to part one, make sure you go back and do that at some point so you have the full context. In this part of our conversation, we explored Alex's sexual identity, what it's like for him living as a gay Asian male in the conservative state of Texas, and his journey from being in the closet to coming out to now married and comfortable with his own identity. Another thing that really identifies me is I'm gay. I was 28 years old when I moved to to, um, Texas and actually came out in Texas. (laughs) So it was a very interesting coming out story because, you know, I think 28, it's pretty late by normal standards to actually come out of the closet. But I waited to move to Texas, the most conservative state, arguably in the U.S., and you know, live alone and not have anybody around me to finally come out of the closet. But uh, I did, and it was the best day of my life. I'll always kind of hold that as a really good experience for myself to to reflect on because that's the moment, you know, you just get to be your authentic self and you feel more worthy of everything. Things changed. I, I could distinctly remember, you know, the first person I told on the phone and just the feeling of the weight being lifted off me that it was out and that I could start moving on um, with my life and, you know, getting the things that I, I never thought I could deserve. I was on a short plan to move back to California, but shortly after that, I, I met my current husband, Scott, and we've been together for 10 years. We're going to be together for 10 years this summer, and we were married over three years ago. Oh, congratulations. Um, yeah. So, you know, I, I think for me, it, you, what really defines me personally, um, as far as my experience goes, just being an Asian American gay male and just really maneuvering what that looks like in a professional world, in a personal world, in a conservative world. So just, it's been a great learning. Did you have many role models around you or did you kind of have to navigate all of that on your own? I had role models in the more conventional sense of role model. So, you know, cisgendered men and women that I really looked up to, but I really didn't have any type of role modeling for a gay person. All I really had exposure to as far as gay people was what I saw in entertainment. Being born in the 80s and growing up in the 90s and early 2000s, there wasn't much well-rounded representation of gay people. It was always the stereotypical gay person portrayed in a very stereotypical way. Like super Um, flamboyant. Yeah, super flamboyant and all this, you know, just like, you know, the life of the party and, you know, not going to settle down, living a life of just whatever they want. And people do that. And I think people do that whether you're gay or straight. It's just that when the representation only focuses on one genotype, there's a bit of a misrepresentation there. What I think about it is when I came out to my mom, the first thing she was worried about was kids not having kids. And the second thing was me getting AIDS. That kind of gives you some insight on what's really being portrayed out there of gay people. If, you know, those are the top two things that you start thinking of. The kids thing I could get, but getting a disease is just interesting because it's not just gay people that get AIDS. Yeah, (laughs) exactly. That was all driven by, it's not a marketing thing, but it was kind of the messaging, right? In sort of the 70s and 80s, wasn't it? That it was like a, something related to homosexuality. And it was, wasn't it kind of used to demonize it as well? Yeah. I mean, it, it's, 
it's it's a bit hard to get away from that narrative because it is very much ingrained in our community, right? I think our our community was very hard hit when AIDS became a really broad scale epidemic during the Reagan administration, and it was ignored by the FDA, and people were dying, and and there was no solution in sight because it was really seen as a as a gay disease. It wasn't happening to mainstream people, so you know people kind of saw it as a punishment for being gay. You know, even so today, there's less of that narrative, but it's still a part of it. And it's something that I don't wish to lose, to be honest with you, because I think it's very important to understand that history and to also think about all the lives that were lost during that time without any support, love or even care. And in many circumstances, just kind of left to die and abandoned by their families. What I'm encouraged by as far as, you know, just speaking to the gay experience is that the representation is becoming more diverse I, I'm seeing more movies and shows that it's not a coming out story. It's not about somebody having really strong um, issues coming out of the closet and you know being depressed. There's still that. Don't get me wrong, but there are a lot of represent rep- represented stories where that are very great. I, for example, had a fantastic coming out. I, I was only met with love. All, all my male friends that I thought would push me away cried with me and. It it was it all changed, right? And and so there are stories like that, and you know that those stories need to be told too, just to give a, a well-rounded understanding of what it is to be gay. I'm really glad to hear that you had such a positive coming out experience. Do you think that lack of representation kind of contributed to you coming out quite late? Yeah, I do. What happens is if you don't have a lot of representation of of who you are. And everybody just takes snippets of what society tells you that you are, then you usually get just the real bad parts of it, right? You get the comments of, you know, oh, that's so gay. Or, um, you know, you, you hear comments about other, you know, gay people or, or things like that. You just get the negative of it because if you're in a, if you're in a, if you're an outsider in a very majority type world, you, you really only see the poor side of that representation and you don't get anybody that really tries to exemplify what it could be for you. I had to find that myself. And the way I really found it was honestly getting into my first relationship with a boy and really feeling the butterflies for the first time in my life and thinking about the possibility of not being lonely and, and, and having happiness and after I, I felt that, even though it didn't last, I knew it was worth it. And that was enough for me to kind of model myself towards something better for myself. But yeah, it's, it wasn't easy. I mean, afterwards, I went to therapy, lots of work to get there. <laughs> but, but, you know, it, it's, it, 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 it's possible. And there's a lot of It Gets Better campaigns out there. And I, I truly believe that when you are you are on um, you know the queer end of, of life or something that's not majority driven, it gets better. You, you find your family, you find your niche, you find your voice, but you have to really put work into it. And did you have any fear around how your mom would take it? Oh yeah. So I, you know, I came out at 28, I told all my friends and then, you know, friends are easy to tell. And then you start going to family and I have one sister who's older. And when I told her, her first response was, you can't tell mom. It was just a gut reaction. I don't fault her for that. And it's just, it's just what she felt at the time. But what that did was push me in the closet for another year before I told my mom. Right. It, it would have just made you so much more 
frightened of her reaction. Yeah, yeah. And and this is where, you know, words matter. I think that that's the one thing that, like, everything that comes out of somebody's mouth really matters all the time. You can't assume that you're in a, in, a, in a safe space with people that think like you or believe like you because your words by even just dropping gay could push somebody further in the closet because they think that you're, you would not accept them if they were gay. So to me, just, you know, looking backwards, it really does matter. But, you know, as far as my mom goes, I, I decided to tell her on a trip back home my grandfather was ill, so I went back to go see him. It was a really hard weekend. Um, he came out of it, and I was going to go fly back to Dallas, and my mom was taking me back to the airport. And I remember saying, okay, well, it's not a good time because Grandpa's sick. But then I thought, you know, it's never going to be a good time because you're going to come back, it's Christmas, and you're going to say, it's not a good time because it's Christmas, and you want your mom to be happy, right? <laughs> so I just said, you know, I'm going to tell her on my way to the airport, because that way I know the conversation will end and I'll be off on my way. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> you can escape. <laughs> yeah. So I, I remember seeing, um, you know, my hometown, I remember seeing all the, the exits on the freeway and saying, okay, when I get to this exit, I'm going to bring it up. And then I would go to the next exit and say, okay, I'm going to bring it up. And then I finally just said it while I was driving and it was extremely emotional and it was just a very dizzying situation. And I got dropped off my mom wasn't, she's not this person that says get out of my life type situation. She was just trying to absorb it all. And I think she took it really well. I I wasn't afraid that my mom would say something or do something that was drastic. I was more afraid of disappointing her. I don't care how old you are. You just don't want to disappoint your parents. And I think that was my fear. What about the situation did you feel would disappoint her? You know, I, I, I've always inadvertently felt, you know, the male pressure of the family, my parents splitting up early and and really me really being raised by my mom and my sister, I had to kind of grow into what it meant to be the male of the family. And I always wanted to deliver what I knew what my mom wanted, which is a good job, a good wife, kids a big house. One day she would move into the house, take care of the kids. We'd have this, you know, big extended family in the house and she could be proud of her, her son, you know? And so in my mind, I was really crashing down on what that looked like for her by telling her who I was, who I am. So that was my fear. And I don't, I don't know if it was fair to project that on her because it was really my fear. Now, that I'm over 11 years out of being out of the closet and my mom just loving my husband unconditionally and who I am and who he is and just really loving the time that she has with us when we do see her. You know, I think it might've been my own fear projected on her. So it's a learning. I think um, as kids of I can only speak from like the Asian experience, but we, I think we do project a lot of our own fears to our parents when actually all they really want is for us to love our lives and to be happy. Yeah, I agree. And, and you know, I, I feel like oftentimes Asian parents in Western cultures, we almost assume that they don't get it, mm. right? I, I Sometimes I'm just like, oh, my mom is, she's just not aware of this. And then you get these moments of conversation sometimes and you're like, well, shit, you do get it. <laughs> 
<laughs> you know, like you're you're an actual person that understands your own faults. And all this time, I I always thought you were a bit unknowable in that respect, but they totally do. And that's been such a learning too to not shortchange them. They have the capacity to be there and show up and and understand where you're coming from and and have have that love for you that you know they do. Do you yeah. think? that it was a shock to her when you told her? I wonder about that. I don't know fully, right? I, you know, we don't have children and I've talked, I've had all these discussions with people. You know, my husband, for example, you know, he was brought up Southern Baptist and his, his parents don't accept us. And he's had a completely different coming out journey just because, you know, the Christian background really um, inhibits progress for them. But in my mind, like if I had a child, like, especially if I, if I was a, the mother or, you know, the person that really spent the most time with my child, how could you not know? <laughs> my earliest memory was being at a Hallmark gift store. And my mom said, you know, to my sister and I go and choose something, choose one thing that you want. And then I, for some reason, chose this notepad of uh, Michelangelo's torso, <laughs> right? It was just like a bare torso. I mean, and it's a great torso. <laughs> It's a great torso, right? And then so I handed it to my mom and she looked at me like, why do you want this? <laughs> and that's my earliest memory of that I should not like that. I shouldn't gravitate towards that. And it's not sexual at that point. It's just, it's just like, you know, why do some little boys and little girls get infatuated when a woman or a man comes in? And it's not sexual. It's just, it's just a, a thing. I don't know what I don't know what it, what to call it, but you know, you just you gravitate towards it. Yeah, it's quite interesting as well because obviously gender is a social construct, and it's just it's kind of amazing and crazy to me to think about all the different ways that we're conditioned to think like what is masculine and what is feminine without even realizing it, and also how we reinforce those ideals when we don't necessarily even realize that we're doing it. Right. Yeah. And it's, it's this weird thing and that others try to push your masculinity or femininity based on their preference. And I I have such a problem with that. I I have a problem with, okay. So in, in the gay community, right. I, Asian men, and I think Asian men in, and even in the straight community, it's statistically shown that Asian men are the least sexually desirable. If you look at dating websites, if you look at porn websites, Asian women are fetishized and Asian men are totally desexualized. And, you know, from my understanding of the origins of that, it's clear, you know, with colonization of why this occurred in history and time that Asian men were brought down to this, this space to be seen as effeminate or non-sexual. So I think when you're a gay Asian male, it's almost like a double hit sometimes because people perceive you as having more feminine traits. Now, I don't take offense to that because I don't think being effeminate is offensive, right? But what I do take offense to is when somebody has an expectation for you based on what they think you should be. Like if they see me on a dating website, they might make the assumption that I'm more on the effeminate end, right? Without knowing who I am. And when they see me, they might be shocked and they might even make a little microaggressive comment of saying, 
I would never even know that you're gay, right? And I, to me, that's so offensive because, I mean, I don't really know that you're straight. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's just like a really weird thing to say. Um, I, I, I don't know. I, I, to me, being accused of being masculine or feminine, I, I only find it offensive if it comes from a place of somebody having an expectation for you to be masculine or feminine. But if you yourself identify or really have an identity of one or the other, that's really your choice. And being more feminine or being more masculine is not a negative nor positive. It's who you are. Yeah, for sure. What, What was it like for you then growing up as an Asian boy in a world that is constantly telling you how unattractive and how unappealing you are? I feel like it's like it, it, you don't know sometimes when you're in it that it's horrible. Me not really dating, dating until later in life. I don't think I really understood how awful it is until I really started to date. You know, and I think when people are able to put ethnic preferences on dating apps and websites and things like that, it really, it's, it, I remember just like being in that place of, oh my gosh, like I would like to connect with this person, but they don't have Asian listed or they might even have no Asian listed, like literally in their profile, no Asians. And then you're thinking, oh my gosh, right? Like I am, I am not sexually attractive. I, I am, I am seen as an outsider in this community and this community only really likes one, you know, type of person. Um, and you'd start believing that you are not attractive and you're not sexual. And I think a lot of that I still carry with me. I, I still, you know, have these long self-deprecating sessions with my husband all the time where he's arguing with me about how, how ridiculous I am. And I'm just saying, you don't understand. <laughs> you, you know, you, you just, you just don't understand what it feels like to even, even if you, even if I was a straight Asian male to really still have to go against that current of you are not a viable partner. You're literally not on the, the, the realm of sexuality for me. <laughs> so yeah, I, it's, it's, it's really difficult. I think some positives are, is I think things are changing there as well. I'm, I, I mean, crazy rich Asians was such a pinnacle moment for everybody <laughs> that's Asian. I think you, whether you love it or you hate it, I just love the fact that they sexualize the heck out of Henry Golding. Right. And, you know, have him with his shirt off, have him sweating, you know, have people swoon over him. And that's what needs to happen. And I, I want it to happen with more Asian looking men. That's not the, not the Henry Golding that's, you know, part white and part Asian. I'm not taking that away from him, but I want, I want more just representation that all Asian men are in the same level of playing field and they could be sexualized just like anybody else. My husband is white and in the, t- in the brief time period that I did date, it's very, it's very white oriented as far as the gay dating scene, I would say. I'll, I'll even say that even if you're white Latino, it's still geared towards that type of um, person that's the most favored there. And, you know, if you, you do, if you do follow groups on, you know, Instagram, oftentimes groups of gay men tend to be very one race and segregated oftentimes. Like there's very few times where I see a very mixed group of friends um, that are all different ethnicities, but you, you see 
the really white oriented, very fit, good looking phenotype all kind of congregate together. And you just feel very out of place. You know, it's funny with, with Scott and I, you know, we love our community, but I think it's a hard community to actually be in sometimes because there is that layer that you have to kind of break through to to become a part of a group. And I think making friends as an as an older adult is already difficult already. So when you have these very strong, tight-knit groups to enter in as an outsider, it's always takes some work. And from my perspective, whether real or not, me being an, an Asian gay male, it's always a little more difficult. And and so oftentimes we have friends organically and it's it's really irrespective of their their sexual preference. Because at the end of the day, I don't care who you sleep with. <laughs> so I just like you who for who you are. Um, so yeah, I, I do think that there's a lot of discrimination that is in the gay community, not just against Asians. You know, I think it happens to all minorities. Yeah. Do you think there's anything that can be changed about that? Oh man, I, 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 I just, I think the only thing that could happen is, you know, rep- more representation. And, you know, what I'm seeing oftentimes too, is that even in, in, in gay representation in media and film and shows, oftentimes the person that's brought forward as the gay person is that really good looking white type. There are very few characters that are that even non good looking Asian type or very good looking Asian type or just a different diversity of who you're looking at as the gay anchor character. So, you know, I, I think that with, with changes there, you know, I think people will kind of see things differently. I, I, I think, you know, Asian characters, Asian male characters being sexualized as well that are gay is helpful. Henry Golding actually did a gay film called Monsoon. Okay. He did a, a, it was a very independent um, film where he, he plays a, a gay male. And I loved it because it was really looking at a central character that was not white, good looking, and that was very sexual being a gay male. So that that to me is progress. Yeah, I think for people who haven't had true representations of themselves around them, it can feel so reaffirming and validating when you see yourself in another, right? Yeah, it's unreal. It's really unreal because this whole time growing up, and I'm sure you experience the same thing, but you watch all these things of everybody but yourself. And how do you learn about and love yourself if you don't see yourself in anything? And and when you do see yourself back in the 80s and 90s, you were looking at like long duck dong. You were looking at, you know, these people that weren't representative of who you are. I, I remember being in elementary school and one of my white friends said to me one day after knowing him probably for the entire school year, he said, I thought you were Mexican, Alex. I said, what? what? And, and he's like, well, because you don't talk like you're Chinese. And, and this was in elementary school. So even him at that age, was he was exposed to Asian characters with these really heavy, ridiculous accents and not anybody that was born into America. So yeah, it's just really interesting. It always baffles me when people say things like that, because I've been told many times throughout my life so far that I don't sound Chinese. And I'm just kind of like, what do you expect me to sound like? Like those awful caricatures that you've grown up watching on TV. Yeah. Yeah. 
totally. I, 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 I've gotten that same feedback as well. And it, it just, <laughs> it's just, it's really interesting. I, I, I just had a, a memory flash in my head. There was a, a really funny story. Um, so one of our friends here in Dallas is white. We ran into him somewhere and he, and he, he's actually, he was actually in the closet. I think still probably is in the closet, but he was with his mother who's from like the panhandle of Texas. And Sorry, he introduced, um, you know, Texas, if you look at the shape of it, the Texas oh, has this top part. Okay. That's like a box. Yeah. Yeah, so we call that the panhandle, like a you know frying pan. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah, so it, it's it's very you know rural area, more of a um, more of a backcountry type culture, right? So he introduces all of us, and he says, "Yeah, this is my friend Alex." And then later on, they walk up the stairs. But later on, he said, "Funniest thing when my when I told my mom that your name was Alex, her response was, oh, I would have never guessed that.' Oh." And so oh I was just like, what did you expect my name to be? <laughs> it is funny because it's it's actually my legal name. I didn't I never had a Chinese name that was, you know, made pal- palatable to white people to be Alex. My my mom and dad named me Alex. I still have no idea how <laughs> <laughs> they, they came up with this conclusion to name me Alex. And I love my name. But I just thought that was so funny that somebody would expect my name to be like, you know, Chin or something yeah. like that. Um, what did you say to that? You know, I, I I laughed it off, right? I thought it was funny. And sometimes I question myself for laughing now. And I don't know how serious to take it. Because if it's somebody that's coming to you, I, I just don't want to... I don't easily get offended myself mm. because I feel like my... Personally, I'm, I'm a pretty offensive person. I'm, <laughs> I'm pretty loose-lipped and I say what's on my mind. So I hope people don't get offended by me. So I try not to take things too seriously. But I but there are certain situations where I, I look back in retrospect, and I wish I could challenge it a bit more, you know, at least say, well, what did you what did you say to her? You know, how did you correct her? Things like that, because laughing is not always progressive. No, exactly. I feel the same way, because I don't really like to there's a lot to it. Like I don't really like to make people feel uncomfortable and I kind of just like having things quite lighthearted to, to begin with. But then I also like having these kinds of conversations and being able to learn from other people. Um, and I, I do think that a lot of us, especially with our past traumas, we've kind of brushed them off. But thinking back now, I think all of us would have wished to have been able to challenge them a bit more. Yeah, I, I agree. I, I feel like we're more in tune to the more egregious offenses, right? And we think in our head, oh, I wouldn't take that if somebody said that to me. But sometimes I wonder if I would, just by the nature of how I was raised and just as us as a general culture of non-confrontation, just put put your head down and move on and you know, don't don't let them get to you. Don't challenge and move on. I'd like to think that I would really stick up for myself, but I don't know if I would 100% in every circumstance. Me neither. I wonder that as well because sometimes I think my bark is worse than my bite. (laughs) Like I I say a lot of stuff, but then I'm like, oh, if I was in that situation, would I really speak up? Would I really talk back and stand up for myself? I don't know. (laughs) Yeah, I I don't know that. And I, I I really don't know if many people know that unless they've, they've come if, if unless they've 
been on that spectrum of just being repeatedly offended. And, and unfortunately, there are people that way that have become so hardened by it that they know exactly how they would react, right? And I think if you're on the end of, you know, it doesn't happen to you very often, but if it does, you really don't know what to do. You're not in practice for that. You didn't think about that. And my big intersection is being not white and gay. And, and so when we, when Scott and I travel, especially to more rural areas and non-urban areas, I'm always wondering about, are we going to get any pushback for being a gay couple getting a, a king bed? Luckily, we don't have never encountered it, but it's always in the back of my head. Even if we get a question of this is a king size room, that's a that's a pretty aggressive comment um, to say to, to two men. And the only type of like for me, that's that's kind of an aggressive comment or microaggression is when Scott and I eat together and it's like a nice restaurant on a Friday night and they ask us if we want separate checks. It's interesting to me because on one end, I can, I could see where maybe two men that were not together and not gay be offended, but I can't understand why they would be offended. But for me, I get a little bit, I get a little bit peeved by that because you wouldn't ask a man and a woman eating dinner on a Friday night if they wanted separate checks. Yeah. Um, don't, don't you so, feel that's such a product of our heteronormative society as well? Yes. Yes. I a hundred percent believe that. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it, our structure is really built for that. So. Yeah. Do you think your experience would be different if your partner wasn't white? That's a great question. I've never actually thought about that. So if I were to be married to another Asian person, for example, I don't know if it, I don't know if it'd be different, actually. I really don't. I, I don't know if, if that assumption would be any different if we, if, if he was not white. I, I definitely think that us not, um, us not having, like, if I, I considered myself a soft person of color, to be honest with you, right? I don't, I don't experience the same exact same apples to apples of people of color. And when I think of people of color in the U S I think of, um, black people and I think of Latin people and other people, you know, from India and places like that, that, that really get a, a strong dis- discrimination against the color of their skin. Right. So if, if I, if we were different, I I don't know what that would look like if you had a different intersection of being gay and a black couple, a black male couple, or a, a black mixed race couple, black and Asian. I don't know what that looks like. I can't imagine it being easier. I mean, I think I think the more the more minorities that intersect with the person, the harder it gets. Even if that person was not gay and just black, there's enough systemic racism here and in the world that already makes the baseline lower for them to move to a more equitable state. So you, you know, you confound that with sexuality, queerness, you know, transgender, not living that heteronormative profile, then it gets really difficult, right? It gets really, really complicated for that person to exist and to occupy space and allow people to give space for them. Uh, I feel like a lot of times in those, those, those persons. And, you know, sometimes myself, you're very cautious of how much space you occupy. You're, you always think about, I'm not deserving of everything in this room. So let me occupy as, as little as possible to allow for the other people that deserve it, the space. 
Actually, that reminds me of a point that you brought up earlier about after coming out and feeling like you finally could deserve the things that you wanted or something along those lines. Do you mind elaborating a bit more on that? Yeah, you know, what was interesting for me coming out was prior to coming out, I was just an Asian male. I was an Asian male that was extremely picky. (laughs) 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 Oh, Alex is just so picky. He's too busy with work and occupied with his time to to find a mate. But, you know, as soon as I, I came out, I really then felt the weight of minority. I think prior to that, I don't think I ever experienced any type of adversity, you know, professionally or friendship wise based on being an Asian male. But as soon as I came out, I almost felt like everybody knew. I actually remember coming out and going to the Gaborhood area on accident because I was looking to get a tattoo in, in, in Texas. And, the, and this tattoo place happens to be on um, the main gay thoroughfare in Dallas. And I remember coming out of that car into the tattoo parlor and finally realizing that I was in the gay area and feeling so out of place. And I was like, I do not fit in this community. This Because part of you is still in the closet and a part of you is repulsed by it. Because part of being in the closet means you learn to hate that part of you. So everything about it, you hate. Like, for example, prior to me coming out, I wasn't attracted to gay men. I was attracted to more straight men, right? When I saw gay men on TV, I didn't gravitate towards those guys because in my mind, I needed to reject that person. But after I came out, then I found gay men much more attractive than straight men. And it, it, the, whole, the whole thing just switched for me. But I remember going through that situation. I actually called um, our mutual friend, um, Jenny and Mike, and, and really having a hard conversation with them saying, I don't know where I, I fit. You know, I, I don't fit in your world anymore and I don't fit in the world where I think I should fit and I need to see a therapist. Right. <laughs> so that's, that's when I started seeing a therapist. Um, but, you know, I, going back to your original point of just like being deserving of it, um, you, you realize that you've been missing a part of your life that was, that's so needed as far as growth goes, like romantic love. I think the majority of people need it. I know there's people that don't, right? And I, I want to leave space for that. But I would say most commonly, you know, companionship is important, whether it be just sexual companionship or really just having somebody there that loves you in a different way. I didn't know that, that I needed it that much until I knew that I could survive if everybody left me and they'd be worth it because what I would get from this companionship would be everything that I would want as a person. So for me, like coming out was that ticket for me to say, you deserve this. You need this. Um, this is a part of, of who you are and how to be happy. And if there are people that walk away from you, it's worth it because this is more worth it. Um, and I think that's how I encourage myself towards just being my authentic self. Do you feel like you are a part of a community now? Oh, that's a good question. I want to say yes and no. I I don't, you know, my right now being somewhat displaced from my, my core group, our core group in California, 
I do feel a little bit misfitted. I, I really enjoy and love the friends that we have accumulated here and in Dallas, but I don't know. I, I, I don't know if, if it's to the depth of fulfillment that I would want, or maybe I'm comparing too much to childhood friendships and maybe that's unfair because I think those friendships have likely evolved without me being there and kind of being more distant with it. So maybe everything has changed, including myself. And maybe as you get older, your need for that community kind of diminishes because it's more reliance on your partner. So I can't really say that I have and I can't really say that I haven't. I, I know that the people I know here make me happy and I hope I make them happy. That's all I can really say. I, I can't really go deeper into that, you know. Do you think you'll ever leave Texas? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> that was quick. <laughs> I you know, I say it quick, not to say that I hate it here. You know, what I what I really what I really was what's eye opening for me is that I get this question all the time. Why do you live in Texas, right? How do you deal with those politics? How do you, how do you deal with being gay in Texas? And I, I, th- I think at the end of the day, people have more in common than they don't. And it, it's proof positive that, you know, we could be in, a, in this, this world that's seemingly not okay with gay people or, or non-white people and really maneuver beautifully because people here are lovely. Like, I love our street. I love my neighbors. We just have a great residence and community and all that. And I, I do love it. So I don't think that politics always equals closed-mindedness. And I don't think region really dictates what you're going to get. And I think that's the learning here. And I also don't think that you're any better by surrounding yourself with people that only believe the same way you do. I like to think that for us, we might be that diversity for those groups in our society, right? In our community that don't have diversity at all. Like when I'm bringing braised soy sauce, pork and eggs to a potluck, (laughs) I don't think anybody else is bringing that, no. <laughs> right? <laughs> right. And 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 when I'm, you know, when we are a gay couple, and I could just authentically be my gay self in front of these people that are not, um, you know, it's a change because these people are going to have kids, and if they have kids, and one of their kids is gay, they're going to have a different representative person in mind that their kids are going to be fine. And if, if I, if I only surround myself with people that are like me and, and believe in what I believe, then I can't disrupt any system at all just by being me. It's like passive active activism. I think you're in a place where you don't really fit fully, but you just being you is a form of activism. And especially thinking about like the younger generations as well, kind of being the representation that you never got when you were their age as well. Um, right. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. All this conversation has been so good and so enlightening because when we first caught up, you were saying how being gay was like the least interesting thing about you. <laughs> <laughs> I still think that. <laughs> no. no, it's been super, super interesting. And thank you for being so frank about it. Have you ever thought about your legacy in any way? Yes. And, you know, I, I I always think of people having children because it's like human nature to become immortal, to replicate themselves. So everything can be passed on, genetics, wealth, everything is is not just for naught. You know, you don't work in this life and all of a sudden everything just goes to nowhere. I, I think I, I think of legacy differently. 
now. I, I think of legacy that can be left with my niece and nephew, with our friends' children, with doing good in other ways and trying to maneuver through and be a good person. I think that's that's enough of a, a legacy because I, I, I think it's just more about me being happy with our behavior and how we really conducted ourselves in life that that's going to satisfy me at the end of the day. Not really, you know, my name being brought up with a lot of, you know, lights and fireworks and things like that, or, you know, having a child that has my DNA. I, I don't think that's too important to me. Nice. Well, thank you so much for having this conversation with me, Alex. It's been so interesting to hear your perspective and your experiences. Yeah, thank you so much for being so frank and open as well. Really appreciate it. No, thank you. I this is this is my first type of interview type um, scenario, and it's it's been it's been Could really not great. Tell. And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> so articulate and so many great like thoughts and perspectives. <laughs> Uh, thank you. Uh, it's probably just because my mind never stops and <laughs> you're allowing me an outlet just to babble forever. So <laughs> I, I really appreciate it. And I also want to say like, I, now I'm, I'm going to be able to dive into your podcast world because I didn't want to listen and bias myself, but I, I do think that if this is what you're doing, it's really great work and much needed. So, um, I really appreciate you getting these stories out. My immense gratitude as always for listening. I really hope you enjoyed listening to Alex's story and learned something new along the way. If you haven't already, make sure you rate, share and subscribe as well as follow on Instagram and Facebook. Facebook.